Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Good morning, Palmetto Baptist. How are you today? It is a very much a privilege for me to be here with you today. Many of you I'm sure I met last week, but for those I did not meet, I want to introduce myself. I am Chris Reynolds. I work with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board in a division called Pastor Wellness. And I have had over the last month the privilege and opportunity of working with your search committee as they have talked about transitional or interim pastor and as they have begun to meet and pray for your new senior pastor. I want to just echo this praying at 7 o'clock in the morning, whether your time is 7 in the morning, 7 at night, or noon or midnight, doesn't matter. But I want to encourage you to join them in prayer just because, you know, here's the truth. God knows your next pastor. And we're just praying that that connection, however it is, just begins to, to grow and to bear fruit. And, and he comes and his family comes and you as a church began to just do again and keep doing what you declare, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to this community. So I have absolutely counted it a privilege to be a part of this journey and uh, to be here with you not only this week, but I get the opportunity to be with you next week as well. So before we get into our message, um, if you'll join me in prayer, um, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have worshipped you in song. We thank you for the gift of interpretation that allows our people who are hearing, not able to hear words, but are able to communicate through sign. God, I thank you for that gift. I thank you for those that are online who cannot be here physically today, but are in this room with us. Lord, we, we love you. We ask you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We ask you to illuminate your word to us. And through it, God, that we would not just gain information, but we would gain transformation that would cause us to be able to glorify you and see men and women and children drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful kickoff to what we know as Holy Week. The children here giving us that very visible example of the people in the streets crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King has come. And you know, in that wonder and awe of that moment, there was still confusion. The people, remember the context, they were oppressed, they were under pressure, they were not able to have a lot of things that were normal to them. And so when they began to, to say, Hosanna, the King... What they were saying was, finally, somebody's here to bring us relief. Somebody's here to finally here to do something about this government that's oppressing us. Somebody's finally able to do something about religious freedom and this and that and the other and all of those things. And Jesus had boldly declared that he came not to be the earthly king, the ruler king, but he came to be the king of the spiritual realm where he could take those who were separated from God by sin and draw them. You know, actually he came to demonstrate and to live out Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then. And what he was really saying to the people is, I'm coming to be your spiritual king. I'm coming to be your redeemer, your savior. The one who can bring you back into right relationship with God. And so many times we're like the people with the palm branches. 
We're like, God, I got this going on, or God, I don't like that, or God, this isn't fair, and I want you to come be my king. And while we're saying the right words, our heart is saying, would you just bring me some relief? And Jesus, before the foundation of the world, came to bring relief. He's coming again to be the earthly king. But his initial coming, when he came as the child, he came to reconcile us to God the Father because sin had separated us. And you know he came and he had an unusual birth. He was born of a virgin. You know that he had an unusual life. He lived a sinless life. And we're also understanding that he had an unusual death because in his death, it's the only death in history that was the choice of the one who gave it. And you say, well, wait a minute. There have been people that have given their lives in service. There have been people who have taken their lives through suicide. Yes, they chose the time and the place, but they didn't choose death. Jesus chose death. You see, the preexistent, all-eternal Jesus didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. So therefore, the only way he could have died was by choice to say that I love humanity so much and I want that fellowship and relationship so much that I'm going to give up my life for their life. But if you just look at it historically and you think about Jesus' life, he lived 33 years. And so he died somewhere around 33 years old. Other than the fact that he died as a relatively young man, from a human perspective, that's not that profound a statement. It's he was born, he died. But yet, when we begin to explore it, we begin to understand that it was so much more. You know, Seldom do biographers spend a lot of time on someone's death. In fact, they kind of give you the beginning and the end and they write their story with the dash in between. But yet, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the closest thing we have as a biographer on the life of Christ, they spent one-third of their time on his death telling us about his life, but proclaiming to us that it's through his death that he achieved his purpose. R.G. Lee said this, he's a pastor, preacher from another era. He said, his death prearranged, prophesied, and provided by God was no afterthought. Jesus was born with the shadow of the cross upon him. With the shadow of the cross upon his heart, he learned to walk, he learned to talk, he learned to work. From his earliest moment upon this earth, it was his burden by day and his pallet by night. So again, when we think about famous figures in history, George Washington, he was the first president of the United States. We think about Martin Luther King. We think about the fact that he led a movement that changed our nation. We think about Neil Armstrong. He walked on the moon. We don't concentrate on the death, but yet again... The Bible declares to us the most significant thing that Jesus did on earth was not the healing the sick or providing a need, but dying on a cross. Peter, who was one of the apostles, in helping to interpret this to people, because you see those people that, that were crying, Hosanna, the king has come. They were expecting him to march into Rome and say, this is the way it's going to be and I'm taking over this place. So when he died on that cross, it was literally like sticking a pin in a balloon. Poof. All the air went away. And so the apostles in that time after began to interpret and help people to understand Jesus didn't fail by his death. 
He won by his resurrection. So Peter, in 1 Peter, turn with me in your Bibles, please. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Providing context and interpretation to all that has happened, he said this. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So this morning, as I talk to you about my king, the eternal king, the victorious king, I want to tell you that the first thing that we learn about his death is that his life, or I'm sorry, his death was a sacrifice for sin. In fact, this is how, again, Peter said it. He said, for Christ was put to death in the body. Hebrews 9.26 says he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You will never understand the death of Christ until you understand your relationship to sin. You see, sin is not an oops, a mistake, or if I've offended someone, I'm sorry. No, sin is an affront to a holy God. That sin separates me from him. That sin is something that I cannot go over, I can't go around, I can't go under, and I sure can't go through it. My mom, I've told you, was one of the greatest disciples of my life, one of the mentors spiritually. And she would sing a song to me, he paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. It was a sacrifice for my sin. He gave what he did not have to give for me to gain what I could never gain. And so Jesus, his sacrifice, he died. You know, you could ask the question, is there life after death? But nobody really asked the question, is there death after life? Because we know the answer to the question. His death, Jesus' death was different than any that had ever occurred. In fact, if you think about it, there's really only four ways to die. Execution, just or unjust, meaning your life was taken by someone. There's suicide, meaning you took your own life. There's accidental death, or there's death by what we call natural causes. Now that explains the how of death, but it does not explain the the why of death. We're told very plainly in Scripture That Jesus, that people die, I'm sorry, let me back up there, that people die because of sin. The first Adam was not born to die, he was born to live, but yet because of sin in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That was the first time that word had been introduced. But yet at that moment, and you know the story, God said, hey, all this is yours, but this is right here, you should not touch. And they chose to, to go and they chose to eat of the, from the tree that bore the fruit. And it was much more than a bite. It was a declaration that I want to be equal to God. It's, it's a declaration that I don't need God. And you and I need to understand that is that we don't just oops, we don't just make a mistake, but no, when we willfully and by choice step into sin we're saying God I know better than you and so because of sin there was death but again I told you that Jesus lived his birth was different his life was different his death was different Jesus chose to give his other people may have chosen the time in theirs but Jesus was the only one that chose to give it that stepped out of the realm of natural 
and gave his life. But you think about the life of Jesus and you say that he gave it um, to us. It was a voluntary death. Because I just made the statement to you that sin causes death or death is caused by sin. But I also proclaim to you that Jesus was without sin, right? So if Jesus was without sin and death causes sin, then why would Jesus have to die? Because he died as the substitute. He died as the sacrifice. He died as the sacrifice for your sin to pay the debt you could not pay yourself. That's Jesus. That's why he came. He left heaven. He had it all. And he came heaven, left heaven and came here for me, for you, to be the sacrifice of sin. In fact, he would have said it this way in John 10, 17. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. Ecclesiastes 8 says, No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has the power in the day of death. But yet Matthew 27, 15 says that Jesus yielded up his Spirit. He died voluntarily for you. I read a story about a chaplain that had gone into one of the field hospitals after a horrendous battle. And he was walking through the, the field hospital and he was having conversations with, with the different wounded soldiers. And he walked up to one soldier who has lost his arm in the battle. And he looked at the soldier and he said, I'm so sorry you lost your arm. And the soldier boldly and bravely looked at him and said, Chaplain, I didn't lose it, I gave it. I sacrificed it so that others would not have to sacrifice. I want to tell you, Jesus did not lose his life. He gave his life. He gave his life as a sacrifice for you so that you could have life, so that you could be in relationship. You see, Peter tells us first that for Christ also suffered once for sin. That's sacrifice. The righteous for the unrighteous. You see, the death of my king was not just a sacrifice, but his death was a substitute for sinners. You say, well, who are the sinners? Well, Romans tells me that all have sinned. Romans 5.8 says that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Jesus was the substitute for you, the just. Jesus for the unjust, me, you. If death results from sin and Jesus never sinned, the only explanation for his death is he died on behalf of sinners, and he died in his place. There was a bishop who was the president of the World Council of Churches who said, I would rather go to hell than go to heaven on the back of another man. Well, I want to tell you this morning, if you want to go to heaven by any way other than the back and the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot go to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Again, you can't go over sin. You can't go around sin. You can't go under sin, and you can't go through sin. You see, it's, it's, it's like this. Here's me. Here's God. Before sin, we were in fellowship. But once there was sin, there was a wall, and, and I want to get to God, and I want to walk to God, but every time I walk to God, there's that wall and I hit it and I need a sacrifice and I need a substitute my sacrifice by scripture has to be by the shedding of blood and it has to be perfect only Jesus meets that requirement my, my, my sacrifice it has to be a substitute 
someone to die in my place because I'm not even remotely capable of doing that myself. I want to work for it. I want to be good for it. I want to do this and I want to do that. And God says that that righteousness is like a filthy rag before him. His death is a substitute for sinners. He died to pay that debt he did not owe. John Stott said, The concept of substitution may be said then to light the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God, and God puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. I'm so grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful for God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him does not perish but has everlasting life. Dwight Moody would have said it this way. He said, do not suppose God has made a law without a penalty. What an absurd thing that would be. Just God is gracious and holy and merciful. God is also righteous. And in his righteousness, sin cannot exist in his presence. And so Jesus left heaven. Jesus came to earth. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus went into the tomb. And Jesus rose again so that that wall could be removed. And you and I and all the people out there could come to have fellowship, relationship and fellowship with God. It's one of the clearest truths found in the Bible. I've already told you while we were still sinners. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 said, said, He made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In Thessalonians, Paul would have wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Some will say the cross is offensive, and I totally agree, but the cross is necessary, and it was given for me. It was given for you. Peter believed in a sacrificial Savior. Jesus believed, I mean, Peter believed in a substitutionary Savior. The Apostle John said, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. I remember as a 15-year-old kid at Epworth-by-the-Sea, which is right there on St. Simon's Island. As you go over the causeway, it's right there on the left. You see it whether you've known you've ever seen it or not. I was there on a youth retreat, and I had gone. My mother was a church administrator. I was around the church all the time. I knew all the answers. Every time they were asked, I could raise my hand and say, that's the answer. And everybody would say, whoa, good job. But on that week in June in 1978, there was a gentleman named Glenn Shepard. Glenn Shepard was the camp pastor. And on Thursday night, Glenn Shepard did what happens at a lot of youth camps. He began to share the gospel. But he didn't close it the way I expected him to because, again, I knew exactly how it was going to go. And I knew exactly what I was going to say. Check, done that. He dismissed the group. When he dismissed the group, he told us to go outside, find a quiet place, kneel down, and simply ask God one question. And his question was, if I died today, would I spend eternity with you? 
I did it because it was asked and I didn't have anything else to do. And I knelt down and I simply said this, God. And at the moment I said God, the Holy Spirit at work in my life convicted me and said, Chris, you do not know me as Savior. You know about me as Savior, but you have never met me as your Savior. What ensued after that was a lot of snot crying and not, try- and not understanding and sitting down with my youth pastor. And that night, I gave my life to Christ. That night, that time, that remembered experience, I can rest in all of eternity to know that what Jesus did on the cross became personal to Chris. I want to ask you this morning, can you do that? Do you have that moment, that place, that time, that remembered experience? You may not remember it as specifically as I do, but do you remember? And if you remember, are you willing to trust all of eternity on that moment? Because you see, the completed work of Christ, the, the sacrificial death, the substitutionary death, is what we're about to see now is also the sufficient death. Peter said it this way. For Christ died, for Christ also suffered once for sin, sacrificial, to suffer or the righteous for the unrighteous, substitutionary, to bring you to God. That's sufficient. His death, his blood, sufficient to satisfy the holiness and the righteousness of God. That's love, that's mercy. But Psalm 711 says, God is a just God and God is angry with the wicked every day. But now why is God angry? Because Romans would interpret that for us in 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you see that? That is something I want you to understand. It's against unrighteousness. It's against sin of men. He is not against you. He is against the thing that stands in between you and him. And what he came to abolish was that wall. And people say, God is mad at me. No, God's not mad. God's not wrath against you. It's because of the sin. And Jesus says, I want to do away with the sin. And I want to be yours. I can remember In a science lesson where the teacher took a magnifying glass, took us outside and put a piece of paper on the ground and held the, put the paper on the ground and the magnifying glass up above the paper and began to move the, the magnifying glass until there was a very concentrated beam of light. And in short order, that beam of light began to heat the paper and then the paper began to, to smoke and then there was a brown spot on the paper where it was beginning to burn. And I want to tell you that's exactly what God did. God looked at the universe and said, the universe is separated from me. God looked at the universe and said, it's because of sin, the sin that I hate. And if you will, he took his son, the the magnifying glass, and he pointed it at humanity. And he began to to look and say, I want to concentrate on this. And so he went to the cross for us. And when he died, that concentrated beam of the sun, S-O-N, destroyed sin. Can I tell you this morning, that's my king? My king, eternal king, 
all-powerful king, all-sufficient. In June 1978, a man that loved me enough to ask the question, Chris, do you know him? Changed not only my life, but my eternity. And this morning, the question that I was asked then, and S.M. Lockridge asked just now, I ask you, do you know him? Do you know him as your Savior? And if you don't, Pastor Eric's going to be here at the front. Jet's going to lead us. I want to invite you to stand. If you don't know Christ, if you live here today and you forget me, you've lost nothing. If you leave here today and you forget Christ, you've lost eternity. So, Father, as we have this time, Holy Spirit, we invite you to work and to speak, to be greater than our fear, our nerves, to be our courage, to be our interpreter. And God, if we don't know you, we ask you to speak that to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.